And welcome to Next Reads, a podcast where we read the first chapter of a young adult or middle grade book to help you figure out what to read next. This podcast might contain language or situations some readers might find offensive or unsettling. The North Liberty Library does not necessarily endorse any author's views, but it does support the freedom of speech and the freedom to read. I'm your host, Kayla, the Youth and Teen Services Librarian at the North Liberty Library. My pronouns are she and her. Welcome, listeners. Today, we'll be reading No Matter the Distance by Cindy Baldwin. Cindy Baldwin is a disabled activist and award-winning author. She's written Where the Watermelon Grows, if you've read that. No Matter the Distance was published in February of this year, 2023, to those listening in the future. And this is a middle grade book. I'm going to read the front flap for you guys to give you a summary of what the book is about. What do I know about Penny Rooney, really? When Penny Rooney is assigned to write a poem about herself, she has no idea where to begin. Everyone around her seems to know who they are deep inside, but Penny feels like an unwritten story. Then, one day, when swimming in the creek behind their house, Penny and her sister spot something impossible, a dolphin far from its saltwater home. Penny connects immediately with the dolphin, who she names Rose. It turns out Rose is sick. She has a lung infection, just like the infections Penny gets because of her cystic fibrosis. When Penny's CF spirals out of control, she takes solace in her bond with Rose, but Penny might be the only one who can get the dolphin home. Can Penny use their inexplicable connection to guide Rose back to her pod, even if it means losing her new friend? Ooh, so that's the front flap. This book is a juvenile fiction book that's written in verse. It's a fast-paced adventure, and it's very character-driven. A content warning is uh, blood and death. Please take care of yourself first. And as I said, this book is written in verse, so each page is a, is a poem, and it's broken up into sections. So I'm going to read like 20 pages of the book just because I'm really enjoying where I'm going to stop. So without further ado, section one, spring break. Sixth grade. By halfway through the year, I'm used to the changes of sixth grade. No more all-day elementary school classroom with my name taped to a desk. Now I have a schedule to remember, a locker combination, a different teacher every hour. But some things are just the same as last year like the way the whole school buzzes with electric energy the day before spring break. The assignment. In English class, Mrs. B gives the assignment 10 minutes before the final bell. During the last week of school in June, she says, we'll be holding a sixth grade poetry slam. Any sixth grader who wants may submit a poem to the committee and the winners will have the chance to read their poem at an assembly for the whole sixth grade. Every cell in me goes quiet, like Miss B's words, are a cool, clean waterfall across my skin. I can almost hear the whisper of the battered notebook filled with poems I've written stuffed inside my backpack. The theme for the poetry slam is what I know about myself, Mrs. B says. In your poems, we want you to explore who you are, not just the things anyone can see, but the things that make you, you, deep inside yourself. The deadline for submissions will be two weeks after spring break ends. Class dismissed. The room erupts. 
Chairs scraping back against the floor, the flurry of students hurrying out into the April sunshine. But I sit still, glued into my chair by the glittering promise Mrs. B has just laid out in front of me, a poem, my poem, for the whole sixth grade. Blank slate. Cricket finds me after class, and we watch for our bus, together, just like always, her backpack full of seventh grade textbooks bumping against her spine. Cricket is pretty much a genius, and so she gets put in all the advanced classes, even though she's in sixth grade, just like me. Sometimes I envy Cricket's brain, how easily it seems to make sense of the world. Mine feels the opposite, like every day I grow, I only get less clear on what it means to be Penny Rooney. Cricket's known forever what she wants, to work for NASA, put her great brain to work like Katherine Johnson, the mathematician who charted the course for the rocket that reached the moon. Next to Cricket, I feel like a blank slate, still figuring out where I fit into the puzzle of school, my family, the world, full of people who seem to know exactly what it is that lights them up. Cricket moved in next door in second grade. Her real name is Christine, like her grandma, but her parents called her Cricket for her cheerful, chirping chatter. Cricket's mama brought casserole after casserole the year I took all those trips to the hospital, so mama didn't have to cook. We may be different, but we fit together perfectly. Cricket's been my best friend so long, sometimes I don't know where she ends and I begin. Notebook. On the bus, I pull out my poetry notebook, open to a fresh new page, and try to write Mrs. B's poem. What I know about Penny Rooney. These are the things I know about Penny Rooney. Small girl, all bones and points, with brown hair and eyes, black framed glasses that always fall too far down my nose. Poems that simmer and seethe under my skin, begging to come out, but never sound quite the way I hoped they would once they're written. Not so good at math, numbers always tangle in my brain. A girl with lungs that don't always breathe the way they should. Why does it seem like I could write what I know about cricket or what I know about my parents or my sister a hundred times better than what I know about myself? My sister. Leanna is already home when I get off the bus. Her voice echoes from the music room when I step inside the house. I once heard someone say, Leanna sings like she's giving you her whole soul, and she really does. Right now, she's learning a solo from a sad musical. Bittersweet and beautiful, the kind of music that wraps its fingers round your heart. If I were to write a poem, what I know about Leanna, this music would be first. Banana bread. Mama's at the kitchen table, phone pressed to her ear, calendar pages spread in front of her. Most days, Mama gets home before I do, but getting home isn't the same as getting off work. Mama's a secretary at my old elementary school. Daddy says he runs the place. They'd go under without you, Liz. There's a loaf of banana bread on the counter, the kind Mama makes sometimes, full of so much butter and cream cheese, I need extra digestive enzymes. I cut a slice and sit down at the bar, shake the enzyme pills into my hand. I have to take them every time I eat, just another part of cystic fibrosis, the disease I've got twisted into the double helix of my DNA. With CF, your pancreas get all blocked up so the chemicals that break down your food end up stuck in traffic. Instead, they give you pills made of pig enzymes, which is kind of gross. 
to help digest everything you eat. High-fat foods need more to break down all that deliciousness. Leanna finishes her practice and plops into a chair beside me. What's up, Buttercup, she says, bumping her shoulder into mine. Liliana is always giving me ridiculous nicknames because when she was a freshman, she took one year of French and decided everyone should call each other things like my duck or sweet bun, the way French do. You excited for spring break? Yeah, I say, feeling that electric buzz in my fingertips again. I think of telling her about Mrs. B's poem, about the sixth grade poetry slam, and what I know about Penny Rooney, but something stops me. What would Liana say she knows about me? What would Liana say she knows about herself? Maybe everyone in the world is walking around sure of exactly who they are deep inside their skin. Maybe I'm the only blank slate girl still wondering where I fit in. The Creek. Come on, Liana says when we finish our snack. Let's go swim. Going to the creek, Liana calls to mom. We'll be back soon. We run upstairs, grab our swimsuits, and in two blinks, we're outside, the whole beautiful spring break world around us. Blue sky stretched overhead, the sharp scent of creek, grass, mud, the lap of water as we run past the kayak shed, and the creek comes into view. Race you, Liana shouts, before we're even at the dock. Kicking off her flip-flops, by the time she hits the water, I've got my shoes and glasses off. I follow her in, arms arrowing as I dive through the cool water. My brain is clear of anything except stroke, kick, breathe. As I come out of my dive and start to freestyle, I count my breaths. Left, breathe in. Stroke, blow out. Right, breathe in. Repeat. I think of mama and all the times she helped me practice day after day last summer until I could swim fast enough to almost make up for being short and having puny lungs. Even with all that practice, Taliana, her lungs strong and ordinary, usually wins our races. But today, today, I get there first, filled with bubbly sunshine. When you are not just a little sister, but a little, little sister, whose medical chart says things like failure to thrive, beating a big sister just feels good. What we see next. We're halfway back across the creek, not racing. When Liana grabs my arm, hard enough to pull me under, she drags me back up as I choke and sputter, but doesn't let go. I can feel her feet churning the water so we'll stay afloat. Pen, she hisses, swim back to the dock as quick as you can, but please don't splash. I have no idea what's going on, what made Liana's fingers grip so tight, her voice hiss with nerves, but maybe for the first time ever, I do exactly what she says. We breaststroke back to shore, pull ourselves up onto the dock, skin tingling in the sudden, frigid April air. Okay, I say, trying to stop my teeth chattering. I put my glasses on, but still can't see whatever it was that made Liana freeze. The moment stretches, thin and tense, but Turtle Creek looks the same as always, calm and wide and lazy, swirling past so slow, you hardly see it move. I saw something, Liana says, still a little shaken, a fin not too far away from where we were. Her words sizzle into me. Nobody I know has ever personally seen a bull shark in our creek. Not here, a mile inland from the big newest river, but everyone knows the stories. The fishermen who claim their catch disappeared mid-reel, stolen by a monster from the deep. 
or the scientists who came last year to study sharks who swim in the brackish rivers and tagged three in a creek like ours. Pictures were all over Facebook when that happened, and Mama made us promise to hightail it out of the water if we ever saw something suspicious. But we never have. We wait for a long breath. Then Liana points and waves. See, she cries, right there. It's gray. Look, in the middle, between our dock and crickets. I squint at the denim water, stare so hard my eyes sting. The creek is smooth as glass, and then suddenly, between one breath and the next, I see it. A pewter dorsal fin slicing up into the chilly springtime air. In my backyard. Hang on, Liana says, as the fin sinks out of sight. Is that... I keep my eyes trained hard on the place it disappeared. Yeah, I say, knowing what Liana's asking, the way sisters sometimes do. It rolled. Almost before I finish speaking, the dorsal fin is back, catching sun like polished marble, silver water glistening on luminous gray skin. Shark fins? They don't roll like that. If they ever break the surface, which is rare, they glide, smooth and steady. The creature rises farther from the water and it's clear now. The broad, smooth back, round head, graceful tail. Whoa, I breathe. The wonder of it fills me up like a helium balloon. Here we are in our dripping suits, seeing something maybe nobody has seen before. A dolphin in Turtle Creek. The creek I fell into at age four. The creek where I first learned to swim. The creek we fish and kayak. The creek isn't quite fresh water, holding the memory of the sea with its tides and salt, but it's nearly 50 miles from the open ocean, a dolphin right there in our creek. And for the first time since school got out, I'm not thinking about Mrs. B or poems or what I don't know about Penny Rooney. I'm thinking of nothing at all, except the glimmer of light on that shining fin as a dolphin swims lazily through my own backyard. And that's the end of the chapter. What do you think is going to happen next? A dolphin in a creek? What's going to happen to the dolphin? Will Penny finish her poem about herself? What will that look like? The cool thing about the book that you guys can't see as I'm reading it to you is that some of the poems are shaped into interesting shapes, for lack of a better word. So the one about the dolphin is kind of shaped like a dolphin fin, which is really cool. This book is available as a physical book in our library. If you found this chapter intriguing enough to check it out, if you need help with your library card, as always, the library is more than happy to help you. If you're interested in this book, check the show notes for some read-alikes. Thank you for listening and join me next time for another Next Reads.